I think we owe it to the people in our network to to show, you know, outwardly, not just to them, but to anybody who cares, what we can be trusted for. All right, let's get going. I am, as always, thrilled. And I, look, it's sincere. I hope it comes across as sincere because, honest to goodness, every week, um, and here's my process. I always record the episode and I let it sit. I have usually about three or four ahead. Uh, so I did this a couple weeks ago. But then I go back and edit it right before I'm about to, to release it to all of you. And I'm always blown away by the level of value that I receive from my guests. I'm like, wow, this is like, this is the way I always look at it. If I was in the car and I chose to listen to Leading Matters, I would always be thankful that I listened. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the, my guests and what they share and the insight. And we try to, to bridge a lot of broad topics here. But what here, this, this one is probably one of the more viscerally tactical discussions. But not to suggest it doesn't touch our strategy and our leadership. It does. But it has quite a bit to do with the lifeblood of anything in, within a company. Okay, And I'm talking about your sales and your marketing. I'm a big believer that marketing needs to drive quite a bit and that sales and marketing need to be on the same page. And my friend Matt McDarby, who's joining me today on the discussion, and by the way, just so you know who Matt is, Matt McDarby runs United Sales Resources. You can find them at usr-llc.com. Um, he coaches leaders in B2B complex sales. Okay, so that's what he does. Anyway, the conversation really dives into the nuance that's necessary to orchestrate the conversations we need to have together as sales and marketing to feed the sales team's effort to prospect and get deals into the into the pipeline. And Matt's great at talking about talking about it from the sales perspective because that's what he does, that's what he trains, right? And we as marketers, I think sometimes we we undercut that. We don't we discount that uh, reality a little bit. And it's unfortunate because I think it contributes to the gap that exists between the conversion of a lead that comes in from marketing over to sales. Because if you look at the stats, and I won't get into the stats other than to say a lot of sales organizations prospect well ahead of any lead that they're going to receive from marketing up to about 80% of the time. So 80% of the time, sales is prospecting on their own, turning to marketing's work only 20% of the time. And that gap needs to be solved. And that's a lot of what in my day-to-day, I don't always talk about it on Leading Matters, but that's what we get into in my day-to-day and how I help clients bridge that gap. And I love this conversation with Matt because he talks about it from the same perspective, but coming at it from the reality of what a sales process looks like. Okay, so that's what's in here. So uh, we're going to jump in in a second, but before we do, I want I want to encourage you to go check out not just Matt and his professional and his digital footprint, but check out DealCoachingAcademy.com, all one word, DealCoachingAcademy.com. Uh, now, look, if you're an organization that thinks sales training is right for you, but maybe you're not ready to broadcast it over the entire organization, the Deal Coaching Academy is Matt's online small group-related course that lasts about eight weeks that will get you started uh, in some of the ideas and perspectives you're going to hear today. So go check it out. It's dealcoachingacademy.com. I believe he begins uh, sometime in April. So you want to look at that and sign up for it if uh, I think you'll enjoy it. But enough from me. You never come here to hear me. So thank you for indulging me for these three minutes or so. Let's get into this very valuable and insightful conversation with Matt McDarby of United Sales Resources. 
My guest today owns and leads the very successful United Sales Resources Coaching and Training business. The approach is effective and it focuses on business growth by really keeping the sales process continuously action-oriented. He's coached and advised hundreds of sales leaders across the country and their sales forces as well in a wide range of industries and he also writes frequently on the topic. His name is Matt McDarby and I'm really happy to have him with me today on Leading Matters. Matt, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks Joel. So listen, let's jump right into it, you know, because um, sales is always a tricky thing for marketers to get right. And I was reading recently in HubSpot's State of Inbound report that sales is only using marketing leads about 20% of the time, turning to their own prospecting ahead of what marketing hands to them. And it seems to be a pretty big gap. Matter of fact, a gap that's actually widened over the advent of marketing automation. And I'm curious, you know, I'm obviously a marketing professional. You know, I know you've been a sales professional your entire life. Why, why, Matt, if you could point to one thing, does that gap continue to exist? Um, I, I think that gap exists because you know, we salespeople are, we're, we're looking for very specific kinds of information about the people that we're calling. Um, if you think about it, regardless of what, you know, methodology you may use. And, and I'm a, I'm an old spin guy, you know, coming from my days at Huthwaite and, but you know, regardless of what your approach is, ultimately when you're reaching out to a prospect, there are a few things you're trying to determine, you know, of course, you know, do they have need for what you have to offer? <clears throat> Excuse me. Or, um, you know, or at least do they have interest? Would they see any value in, in having a conversation, maybe sitting down if that's your model or, or having a, you know, maybe a deeper phone conversation. And the fact is sometimes the information you get in a lead uh, is, you know, doesn't prepare you all that well for that. So you tend to fall back on your own methods. Uh, you know, if I think about my own prospecting effort over the years, you know, my mission is to try to get that other person to conclude that there's some value in having a conversation. So I have to get smart, at least to a, you know, to a certain extent of, on what their business is and what their opportunities might be or where they might be having some particular struggles. You know, in my, in my case, it boils down to the performance of their sales team or their, or their sales organization if it's a larger client. And, um, you know, what I may be getting from a lead uh, is not much more than, you know, a name, a title. Yeah. And some action maybe they've taken on the site. That doesn't give me a great deal more insight, though, on, on you know, what – yeah. I'm going to start my conversation. I, you know, I that's a real, look. I think that's a powerful description, right? Because, as I think, marketing professionals mitigate that that work that has to go into making it a real, tangible deal that you're going to chase, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, because if because what you pack in that sentence is listen, some information, maybe some action they've taken on the site, right? Now, on the marketing side of things, people say, well, that's great information because look at all these things he's looking at. But still, until and unless you have that first conversation, you really – I mean, is it true that you really don't know what's – I guess what I'm saying, is there any way for you to know more quickly what's going on? Can marketing help you identify some of the key pieces of information that you need at the earliest stages of the cycle? Yeah. Well, I think I – mean, and you just said at the early stages of the cycle, I think the, the, the biggest challenge is, you know, I don't know – I mean, I, I – I can see this person's title. I can see, you know, they they read, they visited uh, some important pages on the site. They downloaded a resource guide. On and on and on. The one thing I don't know is where are they in their process? And you know, because I'm I'm gonna 
I'm, I'm going to deal with them a little bit differently if they're in the very earliest stages, you know, business as usual, there's nothing, you know, there's no burning platform, nothing's happening right now. I'm going to approach that person differently than if I know they're actively assessing their options. Um, or if they're just in the process of really clarifying what it is that, that they need and how they need to execute it. So that is one of the biggest areas where there's disconnect. Like you, it's, I don't, I've worked in some, with some very smart marketing people, right? And that's this thing that you can't really tell based on somebody's footprint. You know, where did, what did they visit? What did they look at? You can guess. But as a salesperson, the thing that I necessarily have to do is, is you know, and, and nine times out of ten, it's I, I just have to ask, where are you, Mr. Prospect, in your decision-making process? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's hard. I, I've yet to see a lead in my career, in my experience, that says, hey, this person has given us some really clear indication that they're just in the, you know, awareness of needs kind of phase. Um, and uh, I don't know how you do that. So, so maybe there's I'm laying the gauntlet down here, uh -huh. Joel. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you marketers help us figure that out? Because that's that to me is one of the reasons that there is a gap. You can serve up all the information you want, yeah. but the one piece of context I don't have is where is this person in their decision making process? And oh, by the way, if it's a big organization and it's a big complex thing they're trying to decide upon, the other thing I want to know is what role do they even play in this yep. process? Sure. Sure. I mean, and again, you are kind of defining that, hey, listen, the more complex the sale is, the longer the cycle, the more people involved, the more challenging mm -hmm. it is, right? Sure. Yeah. And that's the world I've lived in. I mean, you know, I've been in B2B complex major sales for you know, the last dozen or so years. And so that's what I relate to. But I even think, you know, even, even in more, um, you know, simpler, more transactional sales where it's, you know, single buyer, it's a pretty straightforward kind of a decision. I even think then it would be really useful to know, okay, are they just, are they just starting to kick tires? Are they actively evaluating? Where are they? Yeah. Because, you know, my instinct is going to be, look, I want to, even if that's kind of the nature of what I have to sell, I want to make their experience with me as, you know, valuable, useful, helpful, choose the adjective, sure. um, as possible. Yeah. And so if you can prep me with some insight on where they are, even then, even in that kind of sale, I, I, I would benefit from that as a salesperson. Well, look, I, I again, I think that's there's a lot of nuance packed in there, right? And I had a gentleman by the name of um, Marcus Sheridan on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was a big content marketing kind of consultant type of guy, and he actually said that maybe one of the worst things that could have happened to the marketing and sales industry is that technologies that have evolved have been called, you know, labeled marketing automation. And his argument was that, listen, as we, if we're not building actionable information that's helpful to anyone along the sales process first, in other words, if we don't play sales first, right? Right. right. Then this, then our demand generation and our lead quality will continuously suffer and sales will never fully trust it. Because again, you, even if, even in a transactional sale, if, if there's a, an individual, unless you're like purchasing with a credit card, right? Which is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. If you have a mm -hmm. salesperson involved, there's that that ten percent, ten to twenty percent early on, where a salesperson needs to be empowered to help the prospect because maybe the prospect doesn't really know. Maybe it's the first time they've they've been through the cycle and they don't yeah. and they don't know your sales cycle. They just only know their own decision making process. So right. I guess the question buried in this long dissertation here is what <laughs> what is it that we have to do as as professionals, whether we're marketing or sales, to help 
those early stages of our client. Because look, as sales, we want to get get identified quickly to see if it's a, an account we want to hunt, right? Sure. But, but that's yep. us. That's our concern. That's not the client's concern, right? So how do you how do you juxtapose those two? How do we help the client early on, but it also helps us out a little bit too? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing you have to do, and you kind of did it in the way you asked the question, you got to look at it from the client's perspective. You know, what what do they what do they really want from us? They don't care. First of all, they don't care when they come to our site or they gather information about us. They don't care, you know, who they're who prepared the information or necessarily what format it served. Well, I guess you could argue that point. But the, the bottom line is that you know the, these marketing and sales. Um, you know, the designations that we have, the roles that we play um, don't really matter ultimately in, in, in the real world context to clients. They just look, make it easy on me. If I'm a client, make it easy on me to figure out if you have um, something that addresses an issue that I'm becoming conscious of or that I'm very conscious of. Sure. Right. And so, you know, I think the, the, look, I'll admit it. I, I'm, I don't, I'm going to be the first person to say this, the first salesperson to say this publicly out loud that I, <laughs> you know, we have a lot to learn from marketers. You know, we, we obviously, we really do. Um, one of the things that we uh, could do a better job of is really just understanding our target clients industry better uh, as a starting point and having a better handle then on, um, you know, the, the specific, accounts we're focused on, right? Let's, let's do a better job salespeople of getting smart on, you know, the problems and opportunities that all, that our target accounts, if you have five, 10 or 500 target accounts, your task is to think to an extent, think like a marketer, right? Really try to understand the, the, the sweet spot, the match between your company's capabilities, all of them. And, you know, and that, and that, you know, those target customers, um, you know, likely needs. Because I think we're, you know, as a profession, there are a whole lot of average salespeople out there that invest exactly zero time in in understanding the sweet spot. And they, you know, instead they just kind of sit in a comfort zone. They sell the one thing that they know the company can deliver and they never really give any anything else very much thought. Um, and that's not good. You know, that, that the, the experience that creates for the customer is, you know, they're talking with somebody who has only sort of a, uh, marginal understanding of their company's capabilities and how they can help that particular customer, and that's such a it's such it's such a shame. It's a it's a it's a missed opportunity. So we fail we fail the customer in that way. Marketers, um, I think, uh, you know, it, it's a tough task trying to enable the buyer. Really, we talk about sales enablement a lot. What we're really trying to do is enable the buyer to educate. Mm -hmm him or herself on, you know, what are the ways we can combine all of our really interesting capabilities to make a difference for you, Mr. Customer? You know, it's funny, I, as you're speaking there, I'm thinking I uh, was worked for SAP for a time and in a mm -hmm. company that was eventually acquired by Oracle at one point. And, at, you know, I, it, the landscape's changed a little bit, and I'll get to that in a second, but there used to be, SAP used to joke that you would pull up the bus to an account, right, because the sales... Uh, guy or gal ended up was really the quarterback of these larger deals, and what they mm -hmm. what they really had to do was, you know, build a relationship with the customer, keep the process. They were the overseers of the process, and they brought in the right person at the right time, right? The experts, right? Right. Um, right. And I think what's part of part of this, of where we're at today, 
is that the models today, especially in the software world, but I think it's true ev everywhere, but especially in the software world where we're looking at monthly recurring revenue in a subscription model versus a license model, we it just doesn't support armies of professionals showing up geographically on site to guide the process, right? right. But, there, but maybe there's, because what you kind of discuss in there is enabling not necessarily the salesperson, but enabling the client. So if that's true, if my kind of opinion and my my analysis of the situation is true. I mean, is it is it true that we have to pack in that information and make it accessible to our clients in a very seamless, easy way, still to the salesperson, because they're still the purveyor of what's going on with that conversation and they're responsible for closing the deal, right? But give them access mm -hmm. to that information to make it easy and accessible to their customers to you know do just that, educate themselves, get more embedded with understanding what's going on with the product or the service. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, 2017, why would you ever create collateral or, or in, you know, information intended uh, to go out into the marketplace that isn't um, that isn't client facing, right? I, I think that there's this, how shall I put it? Um, you know, the, the habit of sales enablers or people in marketing who you know who are responsible for creating. Uh, you know, support tools and collateral and, and you know, information about uh, products and services and other capabilities. They write, you know, they, they write it as, you know, from two different perspectives. Um, and I think in so doing, they're sort of uh, perpetuating a problem that's existed in professional sales for a while now, which is that, you know, we salespeople tend to, um, look at our company's capabilities, the products and services that we sell, the people in the organization, the partnerships and all the other things we can broker in to create success for our client. We tend to look at them in, an, in a very sales centric sort of way. You know, how do I, how do I talk about it? Um, you know, what, what are the things that I, what are the really smart things that I'm going to say? And that's fine. I mean, you know, we have to, we have to get smart about what our companies have to offer. But wouldn't it be a lot easier if, I mean, if our, if our, hopefully, again, it's 2017, I would think that most business to business, business to business sales organizations, at least, are encouraging their salespeople to be client focused. I mean, that's a notion that's been around for, you know, 30 years or so now. Um, so hopefully you've all caught up to that, <laughs> those listening. <laughs> um, but, you know, if that's how salespeople are supposed to operate, why the heck would you ever bother creating collateral that's written in any other voice, in any voice other than the clients? You know, talk about your capabilities in terms of, you know, the the language that the client would use. Talk about them in terms of the problems, the client problems that they solve, the speeds and feeds, the you know the the background information. The, you know, I realize there's there's it's contextual and it's important to an extent, mm. but I wonder. You know, for those listening and people who are responsible for creating sales support materials and, you know, why is there such a, a big gap between the materials that you create that are intended for a salesperson's general use and education and and the materials you create for clients? Whose voice should you be using there? Yeah, that's, that's a good point because I, I do think that there's – there continues to be a deficit in truly – identifying who we're selling to and the things they care about and and look i mean you know good 
professional marketers, that's their job is to figure out who the icon is, if you will, of your, your target, right? Mm-hmm. And then to get into all the nuance of what things they care about, what they, you know, what they read, what they talk about, and, and on and on. Do you think that it's ironic that we, even though we have much more access to produce content more easily today, whether it's audio like this or video or the written word and share it in a more broad platform and that we all – there's this ubiquitous reality of, of, of mobile technology that gives us 24-7 access to it. I mean, do you find it ironic that given that there's this new reality of how we're able to communicate, that the communication hasn't kept speed with it? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it hasn't kept speed. It's just sort of unfocused. You know, it's, there's so many channels that we, you know, so many options uh, that we can communicate through to our clients that, you know, and I face this, uh, you know, I, while I serve middle market and large companies, I'm a small business owner, you know, and I've got a limited number of channels that I can reasonably put my information out through. This is a great, you know, this, having this conversation today is a great outlet for me because it's, you know, I'm, I'm taking advantage of someone else's capability and your knowledge of how to do all this. Mm-hmm. But if I have to, you know, if I'm a smaller business, you know, the act of getting, um, you know, really skilled at using these various media, um, is a job unto itself, you know, and, and having to create content that's appropriate for these various channels, again, takes a lot of work. And so I think, you know, the time that we take putting information out over all these various channels, we're taking away from producing content that's really focused you know, who do we want to be known for? Right. That's a very basic question. I know who, I know who I, what, what I want my company known for. We are, you know, we're, we're expert in sales leadership, training, uh, coaching and advisory services, period. Right. We're really, really good at that. Now we do other things. We're really great diagnosticians. We do sales training. We, you know, we have a whole bunch of other project support services, but at our core, that's the thing that we want to be known for developing great sales management teams through training, coaching, and advisory support. And the reason we do that is we know that it's, you know, that if you want to change the performance of a sales organization, you focus primarily on that sales management layer. That's how you drive change and that's how you get better. But, you know, if I, I could write about, and I find myself tempted to write about all manner of topics that fit within this whole broad category of sales performance and sales excellence. Mm-hmm. If you look at all the stuff I've written over the last however many years, you'll see sometimes I do kind of I, I, I do go off on tangents just like everybody else. But it's the core stuff that we create, the the videos, the blogs, you know, the content we put out through various means, advisory briefs and white papers that's focused on the core thing that we do that ultimately is the most useful to our clients because they can look at that and say, oh, OK, I get it. You're you really get this issue that I'm trying to solve. Mm. Can you help me with yes. that? And I say, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's worth their time then other, you know, otherwise we're, you know, they, we could be talking about something that's kind of far afield and I can probably help them, but I think it's a more satisfying experience for them if they're consuming this content and they know it's, you know, the path that they're following with me, at least in, in dialogue is, is going to be useful because I can actually, you know, t- talk them through, whole range of approaches and tell them things that have worked and things that haven't, even if they don't hire me, that will, that will have been useful to them. Well, so, how, well I'm curious in there, right? Cause look, another, one of the things just anecdotally that I learned stepping out on my own is that your network of who, you know, becomes a lot more important to you, right? In other words, having sure. not sold before and now having to sell my own services, 
I find that the network is incredibly valuable. I don't think in the two years I've been on my own that I have one piece of business that wasn't directly or indirectly connected to somebody that I had done business with, right? So in what I'm hearing you say, it's, you didn't really kind of say it, but I'm, I'm kind of uh, assuming it, so That's I'll okay. ask you for confidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm guessing is that, that also builds your, your trust, it builds your relationship, it builds the yeah. net, your network. I mean, do you find that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the people... You know, I'm thinking of my own network now, right? The people that I've that I've worked with over the years, you know, current customers, past customers, you know, guys I went to school with, on and on and on. Um, you know, I've, I think that they all know if they've been paying any attention at all, they know what business I'm in, and they know what they know what I know. You know, they know what I can be trusted for, and I think we owe it to the people in our network to to show you know, outwardly, not just to them, but to anybody who cares what we can be trusted for. Because even with people that are close, right? If you've got a, you know, an old friend, uh, a common, common friend of ours, Joel is a guy that I've known since I was nine years old, right? And he's a, he's a senior exec in the automotive industry. And, and, and he's a guy that, I mean, we, we know everything about each other, but even in his example, you know, I, I can't, I wouldn't, I can't just take it as, um, I can't assume that he would be willing to refer me in, uh, you know, to to you know his clients and into his network, um, if I haven't first helped him understand what it is that I actually do. Yeah. You know, how would he do that? Like, it'd be nice. He'd be. He. I'm sure he would do me a favor, any time. But I've got to. I've got to make him comfortable with, you know, with what I'm really great at. And by and in doing so, and this is what I mean by you know kind of helping that helping the people in your network, then then I can take whatever you know concerns he might have or whatever risk he might perceive in recommending me to others. I take that right off the table because I'm saying no no no. This yeah. is the thing that I'm known for, right? And if you ever run into anything like this, you can trust not just because you trust me personally, but because professionally, this is what I'm great at. So I'm, uh, there should be no risks in his mind at that point, right? He should say, "Here, let me bring, let me introduce you to Matt. This is the guy you need to talk to." Yeah. And so now he, in his, you know, and that, he's an extreme example because he's, you know, and he's one of my oldest friends. But there are people in our networks who trust us, former customers, partners, who would be more than happy to make connections for us if only they knew where we could be most helpful. Because that takes all of that risk of making that kind of third, you know, that 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 uh, third party kind of connection um, because we, we, we all have only so many chips we can spend with the yep. people in our networks. So yeah. we want to make sure if we're doing so, we're not going to get burned. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, I don't know if I'm answering Well, no, that you are, right. You, you're absolutely answering the question, right? Because I think, and it actually brings up a kind of a new um, perspective here, right? Because this, this is exactly the sort of thing that I was asking in the beginning is, hey, what should marketing know about the, that, that, that hidden part of the early cycle, right? And why you're doing your own prospecting because that you just you just kind of just find it right there until and unless you're able to build up the trust that you have with your network, you're never going to be able to get the referral into whoever it is, right? And sure. we can do that. And this is a key area, I think, where marketing can actually help, right? So, for instance, and I'm, I'm curious if, let's say I was, a, you know, let's say we worked in a larger company, you and I, and you were the marketing uh, sales VP, I was the marketing VP, and I came to you mm -hmm. and said, listen, we want to help you 
guys, do your prospect and whatnot, but what you're going to need to do and what we'd like you to do is get on video and talk about, you know, a deal you just lost or whatever and discuss the, the, the five things that you're disappointed in because you lost the opportunity, not for the sale, but to help the client do this. And the, the idea of whatever this might be is the thing we do great, right? And what that does, like, how I would pitch it to you is you might be like, well, I don't want to talk about a lost deal on camera yeah, and you publish it, right? No, but what it does winning. is it builds transparency and trust, right? Because, it, it, yeah. you know, if you're sincere about you really wanted to help the client, it's going to come across on video. I'm going to be able to demonstrate it. We could then begin to use it as an objection, uh, you know, answer, because if there's a major objection that you run into a lot, we could really dive into why that objection ought to be combated. So this is what your marketing team ought to start to think about, but that can't happen unless the sales... Uh, team participates in that. I mean, yeah. would, and do you think, would you be willing to do that? Like if I came to you and said that as a sales professional and, and a leader, would you say, okay, we'll make time for that? Yeah. I, well, I think I would. Um, and like you, you know, I'm kind of joking. I, I don't like talking about losses, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, and I never actually lose, of course, Joel, of course, not. you know that, <laughs> but if I, if I were the person that lost regularly, um, yeah, I, I would be willing to do that, and, and of course I'd lose just as much as anybody else does. I I I, um, uh, I think the 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 idea that we can you know show a little bit of yeah, there's a little bit of vulnerability there. You know, I think that's the, the reason people might uh, might not be so interested in, in jumping in feet first into that sort of a process. But I, as you're describing, I'm thinking, yeah, that would be you know if a client could see. Uh, you know, something that says, look, these guys are very serious about it and helping people like me with this particular kind of problem or, or helping me grab this opportunity. And how do I know that? Well, I'm listening to their words. I'm seeing this guy, I'm looking in his eyes and he's, yeah. you know, I can see the concern that he has. Then, then, yeah, absolutely. I think that could be a really interesting, uh, I haven't heard of anything like that before. We, we love talking about our wins, right? Yeah. We don't always like getting customer testimonials, but we love talking about our wins. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting uh, idea. Yeah, see, no, and I'm glad to to hear you kind of say that because listen, I think that that's what's going to help solve that gap. If I, and this is what I try to talk about here, is is what is it that you as a professional can do wherever your focus is. What can you do that's going to engage people a little bit more, have those conversations with, in a way that's meaningful to them. Uh, initiate the the opportunity or the privilege to be able to advise them a little bit, but all of that's well and good. But then we actually have to get into the business of selling, right? So let me ask in this last kind of uh, vein of of thought here before we we wrap it up. I'm curious about again. I'll use my own experience when going out on my own. I was shocked that selling isn't as easy as I always thought it was, right? That it's hard work. And though, yeah, by the way, you sure. have to have a pretty thick skin because you hear no way more often than you hear yes. Yeah. So what would you suggest to uh, people that are out there that are listening that are at a wall, when they're frustrated with their sales, their prospecting, they're doing everything right on all areas of their businesses, they're just finding it challenging to get into a, you know, to build momentum in, in their sales life. Yeah. So what would you, what's the one piece of advice you might offer them? Well, the, the main piece of advice is you have to persist you know, there's just no way around it, right? This is one of, this is one profession. I think the one thing that's unique about professional selling is that it does test one's fortitude, but you know, it specifically it tests your ability to persist in the face of, you know, no guarantee that you're going to get a good outcome. And, you know, and I'm in the business of teaching people, you know, what, what is the, what are the, the behaviors, the specific things that great 
salespeople and sales leaders do that separates them from everybody else. But you know, the, the, the reality is that even great salespeople and great sales managers, right, they, they have failures and they get no's and they don't win every deal. And, you know, but they're, they're that much more effective than average players, mainly because they persist at the behaviors that they know will generate a good outcome, right? So if you're confident that you know what needs to be done to get that outcome, this is why, you know, that's why training is so important and really understanding what is it the great salespeople in my world, what is it that they do differently? And, and can I, are there behaviors that I can repeat? And if I'm on a team or if I lead a team, how can we, you know, execute those very specific behaviors? And, and I'll get to the, what they are in a second here in like a 30 second summary. But if I can persist in that, I know I'm going to get the no's, but that's just part of the deal. But I'm going to get more yeses than others do, which makes me better. Which <laughs> <Right? laughs> yeah. makes me more effective. And that's how I, that's, that's my fuel, right? That's what makes me persist because I'm confident that what I'm doing is going to have a good outcome. I just have to keep doing more of it to get that outcome. So very simply at a very, at the highest level, if you're thinking about what are the things at which you must persist, you know, one, you have to be clear about what conclusions do you want your prospects or clients to draw, right? What is the thing you want them to conclude you know, if it's an early stage sort of interaction, the conclusion is this guy or this company, this group seems to have some knowledge in this area where I'm experiencing a problem and I would really value their counsel, right? That would be a really key conclusion, right? So it's know what conclusions you want that client or prospect to draw. Two, what questions, which are crucial. It's a crucial behavior, right? Asking questions. Um, what questions might you ask in your interaction with them to help them draw that important conclusion? And then if they draw that conclusion, what action are you going to propose that they take? Right? So that's a very simple framework. It's you know, conclusions, questions that lead to them, and then the actions that they, that they take based on those conclusions. And that's you know, my, you know, my Reader's Digest summary of pretty much every sales methodology for B2B complex selling that's been written over the last 30 years, at least those that are worth their, you know, worth the ink. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that those are the things you have to persist at. Be thoughtful. Know what conclusions you want that other party to draw. And how are you going to get them there? What questions are you going to ask? And then yeah. what are you going to propose? Look, I love it, right? Because that, again, just for the sake of uh, my transparency, Matt's actually been <laughs> coaching me a little bit lately. And one of the things I discovered, and, and he could kind of walk me through that, and this is, again, speaking to my audience here, is that it's it's like, I don't know what analogy to use, like the golf swing, right? Even if you're not a golfer, you know yep. and you understand there's mechanics to the swing, right? And if you follow the mechanics, you know, you're going to you're gonna get better at it eventually if you follow and get better at the mechanics, but you can't just, you know, go to one lesson and, and, and you're cured, right? Uh, right? Or whatever it might be. So I think that's, I, I, I'm glad that you hear you say that because, again, when I talk to smaller organizations that have small sales teams or even, you know, entrepreneurs that are on their own, that this is just an enigma to them, this idea of of the discipline of sales, right? Yeah. So, you know, I just think it's really encouraging to hear you say that because, and also what I like in that too, and now I'm speaking to the marketing professionals that listen, those are the questions that you need to help 
sales get to. And there are ways. Look, we're part of our job as marketers is to be creative, right? There are creative ways to help a sales professional um, access that information from their would-be clients. And then to the sales professionals, I would say you need to kind of trust your marketing team's creativity to get there. So it doesn't that gap we spoke of in the beginning does not get eliminated unless we're you know in concert working against the sales process and feeding it with the creative ways to gather that information. So Matt, I'm actually going to leave it right there because I think this is a perfect opportunity to let the information rest with the audience. But also I want to bring up, I mentioned it before we we got rolling into our formal conversation here about your Deal Coaching Academy. And again, if you want to check that out, it's Matt's new course, eight-week course on how you actually coach a deal through some of the perspectives and the nuance that he's talking about. You can find more about that at www.dealcoachingacademy.com. Again, it's dealcoachingacademy.com, all one word. But what I think you're going to find with Matt is that not only is going to empower and ignite change across your sales force, it's going to arm you with the information and the nuance and the intimacy of knowledge that you need to share with your marketing team so they can better serve you. Look, leads are great, but if I can't get those leads into the uh, early stages of my sales process, they don't do me a whole lot of good. So go ahead and check that out at SteelCoachingAcademy.com. But Matt, where else can we learn more about you, what you're doing, and what you've got going on? Sure. Our uh, our website, uh, the company's United Sales Resources, the website is at uh, www.usr-llc.com. That was USR as in United Sales Resources. You can find me on Twitter as well, um, uh, at M. McDarby. Very good. And... Uh, Thank you so much, Joel. I really appreciated the conversation. Love your ideas and uh, hope it was helpful. Everybody uh, listening. Uh, listen, it was, it was great to have you on, Matt. I'm really glad to have you share what I've already come to know about your ability with my audience. So hope it was helpful to the audience. Uh, hit Matt up. Let him know that you've listened and join us again on Leading Matters. Matt, thanks for being here. Thank you, Joel. Yeah.